Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. This is Chris and Jim and this is part two for the Tevis 2019. We're standing out here. Where are we Jim? Uh, out in our new barn uh, and putting the first wall up the back wall. So I'm sorry guys. I know this is supposed to be the Tevis episode but uh, it's a happy day for Jim and Chris because we get in our barn. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we just thought it would be fun, at least for us, if not for you guys, um, because we'll be able to look back on this. And I already shared with Bridget Helms and Laura Kaziah that we were we were out here working on this wall today. And Jim thought it would just be fun to record out here. So you might hear a saw. You might hear a hammer. Ta-da! Ta-da! Another board cut. It's probably way too loud. So what Jim's doing today is he's putting up the first wall. Obviously, we hired builders to build the barn. But right now, it's just the bare bones with a roof on it. And so the back side of the barn, we decided to go with tongue and groove wood eight feet up because there'll be a small run for Shadrach back here. And uh, we did not want him to have even the slightest chance of rolling or kicking into a metal side. So we put up this tongue and groove on the outside. And we got a lot to go, um, but it's pretty exciting. And I can't wait to see what my tack room's gonna look like because I've never had my own tack room before. So I'm pretty, pretty excited about it. So it's been exciting and everybody's been helping. Our daughter, Alexandra, has been helping carry the boards over. And our son, Harlan, has been helping Dad put all the boards up on the back wall. So I think we're going to go in for dinner. I'm going to start working on the podcast. And uh, hopefully by the episode 28 or so, then maybe I can tell you that we'll start working on the stalls. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you're thinking of sending in, send on in. I always need files. I'll save them for when they fit into the next episode. And I hope to hear from you soon. Enjoy. Well, hi there. This is Lindsay Nichols from Wisconsin, and it is August 28th, 2019. And I have been. <laughs> promising or ignoring Christine for I think it's got to be over a year sorry Christine to put something together and I keep thinking I need to wait till I feel inspired and um, of course when do we ever feel inspired we're too busy running around with our heads cut off right getting work done and chasing kids and doing stuff with the horses and family commitments blah 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 so anyway I'm, I'm not going to let any more time go by and I'm going to try and do a series of uh, little 
voice uh, voice contributions. And I do have to say, um, I just did a two 10-hour drives with the horses and listened to the podcast both ways. And I have to say, um, I love the information that we get from these. From these, I mean, they're just awesome. But I find myself wiping away a little tear, um, particularly, and I forget people's names so please apologize uh, take my accept my apologies but um the lady in new mexico uh, you know when she went through the cancer scare and i just really felt felt for you i really did um and then the lady down in the southeast region who lost her husband um at such a young age and the krugers how can i forget the krugers when he um his just has been laughing at some of his um some of his stories but uh, how how beautifully they dashed over there to to be there for that first night and the shock and and obviously just my gosh the the just the sorrow to 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 lose your your partner um so abruptly so I just wanted to thank everybody when they do share um, share the human side of, of what's going on in their lives as much as what is going on with the horses. So I've enjoyed hearing local people and people from other countries and, you know, the, the small accomplishments, the huge accomplishments, the challenges. It's um, It's just really neat. So thank you, everybody. So what will I talk about? I had the uh, the privilege of recently attending the Tevis educational ride. Tevis, I you know kind of watch and cover this event from afar, as I know all of us do, or many of us do, um, and I keep saying you know it's a goal, it's a goal, it's a goal, and then I just kept thinking it's never going to be more than just a goal, a distant dream if I don't actually go and eyeball this thing. Um, and I thought you know I don't want the risk of of hauling my horses out without actually having set eyes on the trail. So I looked at the educational ride. I thought this is a wonderful opportunity, but I do I want to haul my horses all the way out from Wisconsin for this? Um, And so I thought, hmm, I wonder if I can do a deal with someone. And so I had a friend who was going to let me borrow a horse. But then when everything got moved back by a month due to weather, that was not uh, feasible for her. So I put an ad up on the crew Tevis crew page and said, if um, someone will lend me a horse for the educational ride and they plan on doing Tevis I will come back and crew for them at my expense and I was amazed by the number of responses that I got from people generously offering up the horses um so a gal from Nevada offered me Reno Nevada offered me a horse and um she and I chatted on the phone and just kind of got comfortable with each other and then as the educational ride got closer her horse actually got injured and so then was um, on rest for about five or six weeks leading up to it and you know she generously didn't back out and I kept thinking why is she not backing out and maybe I should have said to her are you sure about this but she didn't um, and so she she I, I traveled out there she hauled her horses out there and we met up and I was acutely aware that the mare I was riding was 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 definitely under conditioned for the for the exertion but uh, we we went and it was a great experience because I got to babysit this mare all the way through the the two days um and if anyone is familiar with the map of the Tevis Trail we set up camp at Chicken Hawk which is near Michigan Bluff which is you know it's not exactly the halfway point but kind of it gives you that feel um and the first day they trailer you back 
um, to Robinson Flat. So you are riding 30 miles of the worst part of the trail. You're not doing the the, the um, climb and the Cougar Rock Pop. You are doing the canyons. And so that was an amazing experience for me. Um, you know, I used to be an avid runner and then after an ACL tear, I've, I've not run as much as I used to, but uh, I got down and and I hauled ass down those canyons and um, tried to get off as much as possible. One, because I wanted to just, you know, know what that was like. Two, because I could make better time than being on the horse. And three, because she was struggling, not having, uh, you know, not having really done anything for the five weeks leading up to the educational ride. And the heat, you know, even though it was a relatively cool summer, the heat in those canyons and just being in there baking away, I was amazed at just how it it saps your energy it's um just the exposure you know i've never drunk and eaten as much forced myself just to try and stay ahead of it but we came out of the canyon um at deadwood took her up quite a long time to pulse down but i had taken my heart rate monitor so i was able to kind of keep an eye on that the whole time that you know um I had the tack on, so I got a pulse down, um, eating and drinking, and then presented for the vet. It took us a lot longer than everybody else, but again, I was not, I was not there to race. I was not there to particularly go fast. I was there literally to try and see as much of the trail as possible. So my priority was getting this horse um, through the first day and into the second day, so I could accomplish that. I mean, the drop-offs of this ride are absolutely amazing. The views are incredible. Um, at uh, what do they call it? Pucker, Pucker, Pucker Peak. It's not Pucker Peak, but it's you know. I mean, the drop-offs are so much that you really do feel yourself puckering. You have to remind yourself to have a soft seat, floppy buttocks, um, instead of tightening up and thinking, "Oh my gosh, what would happen if my horse took a misstep?" You just can't have those thoughts. Um, devil's thumb. You know, just incredible views, but incredible drop-offs. We made it anyway through the vet checks and we made it back to camp. Um, and I, I'm just, I, I have to say how just amazing everybody is. You know, this is Tevis. I mean, gosh, we've heard about all this from, you know, all over the world. People travel to, to participate in this event. And I kind of went into it a little intimidated. And it was really apparent after just a few minutes there that, you know, everybody is incredibly friendly. I mean, people who have buckles upon buckles, Barbara White, her mom, um, Julie Sir, the, um, oh gosh, Hal and Ann Hall. I mean, just uh, Pat Chappelle. It's, these people are just so warm and welcoming. I had to keep pinching myself. I, kept, I felt like I was starstruck. I'm like, oh my gosh, and that's that person, and that's that person. I, I just, I could not believe it, but they're just so down to earth. This is not a big deal. The ride director and his wife, just absolutely lovely people, and their daughters, I mean, just very low key. The mentors, I had a great mentor, and coincidentally, she was from the UK, so she and I had an absolute blast. Um, and because I was only her only mentor for the first day, she was able to go at my pace and I didn't feel like I was letting anyone down. And we literally were, together were able to just make sure that my horse was was um, staying safe and within her limits and uh, getting her through the, the vet checks because they, you know, obviously they still, they're emulating the whole thing. You're going through the, you're going through the trail and you're going through the vet checks and you have a firsthand feel for exactly what the trail looks like, the steepness, the footing, 
um, how intensely, you know, the, the what is it, 2,000 foot drop in two miles to go down the first canyon and back up again. And then you do the second canyon, which is not quite as far and steep, but it's, it's certainly um, not much less. And then ultimately the third canyon. So that was an incredible experience. That night there was dinner, there was presentations, um, there was storytelling. It was just, if, if anyone is ever thinking about doing Tevis, I would strongly recommend the educational ride. It's just an amazing experience and so worthwhile. Hey, good morning, everybody. This is Keisha Wood and um, this is Thursday before the Tavis Cup and thankfully every single year I've got to come out here with good friend Susan Smythe who puts us all up in her home and help mark the last four miles of the Tavis Trail and usually we share horses and um, we just kind of like ride and tie somebody goes and runs and somebody goes and uh, rides and so that's why I'm out of breath (laughs) but um, I'm marking the last four miles and it's always amazing to come up here and see how beautiful it is and what the riders are going to get to see at night and uh, just making sure the ribbons are very clear on the trail where they need to stay and know that some of these riders have been awake and going for almost 24 hours so to put them where they can see them clearly and also know they're right there at the end to keep them moving so um, this was my first update. We're getting Cressy, my mentor, ready to do Tevis again this year on Ben. And we hope for a successful ride. And I will be keeping you posted. Okay, I'm back. It is Sunday after the race. And um, I am in my hotel room waiting for my flight to go home to New Mexico tomorrow. And um, I'm just now coming down off this adrenaline high. I still haven't had any sleep except for maybe about 30 minute naps or so, maybe once or twice since getting ready for um, Tevis to start on Saturday morning. Um, We got up at 2.15 to make sure we were there at Robinson Flat to get an amazing spot to be able to crew for our folks. And so um, I guess what I'll do for the update is I'll start from the beginning. We went to um, Roby Park, and this time we it was the same crew as myself and Rosemary Carlson, but this time we had the Performa Tights owner, Miss Anne Marie Skelton, and she uh, was selling her tights. She's from Australia, and she was here for Tevis for the first time. And we got to share the crewing experience with her. I'm not sure she will come back. <laughs> it's a very hard job. But we went to Roby Park and got to see the horses bed in. And it is amazing to see the strongest, most fit horses that are about to take off and take on such a treacherous trail and get it all done, 100 miles, and with a, only a 50% completion rate. Um, in the Tevis Cup, and there were so many this year, and it's mind-blowing just before it all begins to just soak it all in and see all these horses 
And then we have to, the crew zooms off to wherever their hotels or whatever. But we have a friend here, Miss Susan Smythe, who always puts us up when we're crewing for Cressy. And um, this year we got up at 2.15 because we had to be one of the first in line at Robinson Flat to be there. That's the first point where you're able to crew for your rider. And that is complete chaos. You follow in... um, it's a very, very steep hill, so you want to be one of the first people to get in there or you're going to have to haul all your stuff back and forth, and that's an intense walk, and so um, it's worth it to get up. They open the gates at 6 o'clock. You get to go in there, and you have three minutes to unload, so you have to be strategic on where you're going to place all your stuff and um, where you want to crew for your person and get everything out of the vehicle as fast as you can and leave one person behind to go park the car. And then, of course, you want to make sure the car is one of the first in line because going down that steep hill is no fun either. So um, Robinson Flat is a, a serious hurry up and wait. You sit there and um, are estimated time for Cressy was to come in was around um, 11 o'clock. It was closer to noon. She came in. She looked strong. And before then, you get to see all the front runners and um, the horses that just power through. And then, of course, you get to see the sad things. And when you're trying to um, check your GPS and there's no uh, or check your phone for the statuses, there's no phone signal. Drives you nuts. You don't want to bother all the radio people to see who got pulled but to see that people are pulled on the first leg or to see the horses that come into Robinson Flat that get pulled is such a bummer. And um, so you come in and uh, the rider comes in and you just soak down the horse because they are just blazing. And But this year it was so nice. The temperature was great. It wasn't that hot. And um, the vet in was great. Um, it's just such an organized, beautiful place. And then you immediately get them out on to the next stop and then they're going on in the next place if you get to see them it's going to be at Michigan Bluff and we chose to go to Michigan Bluff if I had to give any advice to anybody I've crewed for the last four years I would say always crew for your rider at Michigan Bluff that is one of the most important places because those horses come out of the canyons they're burning hot and so are the riders you see the riders just coming in red-faced and and that was one of the things that um was hard last year because our horse could have kept going, but the rider, which was Cressy, was that was the first sign I saw that she was getting sick. It was just heat stress was just kicking her rear, and she had to um, pull out of the ride last year based on her physical condition. It had nothing to do with the horse. And so this year, she was working very hard on making sure she was um, eating and drinking properly. And when she came into Michigan Bluff, she was amazing and strong, and so was Ben. But that is such a great experience because it's like a little neighborhood, and um, all these people are outside. And one of the coolest things I saw was Julie Shore out there crewing for Troy Eckert. It was, who would not want that? You know, she is the idol that is, is just amazing. And in her 90s, over there, sponging down his horse. And then I heard her say, um, okay, now off to Forest Hill. And she was, 
going on to Forest Hill. And I asked her, I said, are you crewing? And she said, I sure am. I'm crewing for Troy Eckerd. And she was going right up the hill, just like everybody else does in her 90s. How awesome is that? And so um, that's so motivational. And uh, well, anyways, back to what I was saying, always, always make sure you're there. If you can feed the horses of mush, ice them down. Ice water is so good for them. It makes them feel so good. Give something to your rider to cool them down because they are on fire. And it's only a couple miles to their next stop, which is that chicken hawk. And there they have like an amazing buffet of food for both the horse and the rider. And so just give them that final push to get them on their way. And then you get to power up this huge hill back to your car. And it's only like five miles down the road to Forest Hill, but it takes them about an hour to get there. So you have plenty of time to do it. You go to Forest Hill, you find you another crew spot, and then they come in and um, you get to see the front runners again. It's And, and that's a, have a wonderful taco place. They always have that there. So if you're starving, you have something to eat. And then um, you are waiting for your rider. And then that is again cool. Um, It's so neat to just go into the trees and see all the riders coming in as they come in and watering them down and all the people in the town like celebrating. There was balloon houses and just really, really fun um, how the town just celebrates this amazing race for these folks and are there to cheer them on and support them. And so they come into Forest Hill. Forest Hill, if I have any advice for crew, If your rider is going to come in in the dark, be organized and be ready because you have to do stuff in the dark. Bring a headlamp, bring a flashlight, have everything. 45 minutes goes by so fast and getting ready in the dark is difficult. And so um, to have somebody take care of the rider, have somebody take care of the horse, feed them, mash like nobody's business because that is the last time you're going to see them to be able to crew for them until the finish. This is where they need everything they have for the final push, and it's the hardest part for them. And if you have the time, I would recommend going to No Hands Bridge. Last year, I was able to do that, and some of you were able to hear the podcast, but this year, I was not able to do that. We were having, I was crewing for Cressy, but I was with some folks who were crewing for two other people. So um, we were just having an issue with times and working it all out, and we needed to be at the arena for someone else who was finishing at two o'clock in the morning, and we got to see them finish. And then, um, then of course, I'm having a heart attack because Cressy conserves her energy and um, her horse all the way until the end. And I'm about to freak out that she's not going to make the time, but she came rolling in at five o'clock and she finished it strong. Ben looks so good. Looked like he had done nothing. And, um, it's so neat when you get to know these horses and I have the opportunity to train and ride with her all the time. And Ben is a little guy with true short man syndrome, just ornery as heck. And he came in and he just was eating and drinking and, um, watching them go, under or go around that arena and watching them go under the Tevis finish sign, there's nothing that can describe that amazing moment. And I was able to post it uh, live and do the video live. And it was so cool to have our vet, Dr. Leah Starr, um, watching it live at the same time and cheering her on. And, you know, this is a team effort. It is the crew. It is your vet. It is your farrier. It's your support team at home, whether it's spouses or family. 
whatever. I mean, this is not an accomplishment to take lightly, and it's not done by one person and one animal. It is done as a team, a family, and it's hard, and it's um, it's a huge, that buckle represents amazingness for every single person involved, and it was just so neat to be a part of it. And it was so neat to bring somebody from Australia who came over to sell her tights, which are freaking awesome, by the way. And it was so cool to see so many people wearing them. And if you are a big booty Judy like me, these are some wonderful tights. You have absolutely no jiggle. So I'm doing my little plug here for performa.com or performa. Um, riding tights. They are so cool. And you can get them on Riding Warehouse and um, performaride.com. And, um, but high waist, wonderful. And even everybody got a pair. We were able to shop them. But for her, Anna Marie, to be able to experience this, she said the quilty has is nowhere near as hard as what the Tevis is. And she has never experienced anything this hard. She kept telling me over and over, Everybody who does Tevis, including the crew, is crazy. <laughs> so it was funny. But then I'm thinking, maybe we are. I'm like going on complete E. I have no sleep. I'm so hungry. And um, so I was just, and I have my ticket to go home tomorrow. And I was going to wait one more day. And I'm like, heck no, man. I'm getting me a hotel. So I am now in my hotel. I'm going to sleep it all off. But it's nice to... Um, I've had this experience. I've been so blessed over these last couple of days, no matter how tired I am, to have seen old friends, to make new ones. And um, it's just been a great experience. And so that's it for Tevis 2019. We got the buckle as a family, as a team. And it was so cool to see so many other people do it as well. And for those people that didn't make it, come back. It is so great. I've crewed for the last four years. If you're scared to ride it, I am. I hate heights, but I love seeing people do it. And come crew, come volunteer. It's such an opportunity, a beautiful place to experience, beautiful place to see, and you will never experience anything like it. All right, over and out. Hi, my name is Tanya Olson. I'm from Amarillo, Texas, and I'm going to share my Tevis 2019 adventure, or affectionately known as Junie's Journey, with you. I'm 56 years old. I've been doing endurance for about 10 years, and I have about 3,800 total miles. My Morgan mare is Green Tree's June C., She's 14 years old and been doing endurance for about four years, has right at a thousand miles. This was the first hundred for both her and me. It wasn't intended to be, but as we started to prep for Tevis over the last year or so, life being life, I just wasn't able to get a hundred mile or a 75 mile ride in. So we prepped as best we could and did it anyway. The first thing I want to talk about is um, the outpouring of love and support that I received from people that followed a Facebook page that we had started. It was called Junie's Journey, and I started it about six months ago just for the five or six people that were maybe going to go crew for me to be able to keep up with how we were prepping and what was going on. 
And when we started on our 1,400-mile drive to Auburn, my wonderful friend and crew member, Kim Wolford, began to open it up to friends and family that we knew might want to follow us and post on it. And those friends began to invite people onto it. And Morgan Endurance people began to come on. And Junie's Breeder, Green Tree Ranches, Cece Yellick came on. And it just kind of mushroomed until we had 160 members on it following us and just giving me rooting for me and sending me pictures and wonderful words of encouragement and advice and following us on ride day. It was just unbelievable. A little bit of pressure not to uh, not to disappoint, which we did get pulled at Forest Hill, but even when that happened, it was just unbelievable the the support and the love that, that everybody gave me. And it's going to be what I carry away from this year as the most wonderful part of, the best part of Tevis. The ride itself does not disappoint. I had um, wanted to do Tevis for probably the last four or five years, trying to drum up, drum up the courage to even try it. And then I had crewed for the last two years for friends and really caught the bug then, so it was very exciting for me to be there. I had felt like if I even started, then it was a success for me, and I was actually much uh, less fearful of all of it than I anticipated myself being. I enjoyed every minute of it. It's beautiful. It's challenging, even more challenging than I anticipated. The parts that um, I had worried about, like the start, the start wasn't bad at all. They they really do a very good job of controlling the start. And even though it was, um, I was told that we were going to have 20 minutes less light in the morning and 20 minutes less in the evening than we have, would have if the ride had been held in July. So we went out in probably in more darkness than than we would have, but that was not as bad as I had been fearful of. The dust, on the other hand, was even worse than I had anticipated. When they tell you it's dusty at Tevis, they mean it. Um, but other parts of it, like the bogs, were, were not that bad. And um, it's just beautiful. If you can make yourself settle down enough to actually look around and enjoy the view, it was just gorgeous. Um, unfortunately, the canyons were much worse than I anticipated. Junie and I are flatlanders. We're from the panhandle of Texas, and we don't have many hills to to uh, condition on. And uh, the canyons the canyons were tough, and, and they, they very well could have been our undoing. And uh, as I said, we got pulled at Forest Hill. Uh, Junie was awesome all day long. She was forward. She was happy. She was drinking. She was eating. Um, so I was a little surprised to get pulled. She had not been uh, peeing like I thought she should or even pooping for that matter. So I knew there was a little something up and her hydration parameters at Chicken Hawk uh, weren't weren't great, and it took her a little longer to vet in at that point, which is, I think, mile 64. So when we got to Forest Hill, they had, uh, after yet another canyon, they had definitely not improved, and they held my card and said, let's let her rest for 45 minutes and, and see how she does, which she dove into her mash and her hay and, and for the entire 45 minutes. But when we came back, um, 
her pulse was actually even higher than it had been. And uh, so we were done for the day, which was at the moment, I, I, you know, you, you know you've got a 50-50 shot and you think you're mentally prepared for it, but I don't think you would go thinking, well, I'll get pulled. So I, it caught me by surprise, strangely enough. Um, but the, the vet, I wish I knew his name and I don't. He was just so wonderful. He put his arm around me and he led me out of the vet check area to over to the treatment area and he explained to the vets over there, you know, what he had found and then just gave me a word of encouragement and left me with them and they were also wonderful and uh, started her on fluids, 10 liters of fluids is all she needed. Within half of the the amount of fluids, uh, she urinated and that looked, and it looked better and she was just resting and she, she was fine. They, they definitely pulled her at the right time, caught it in time. And um, I had a great ride every, every minute right up until then. I felt great. I was not tired. I, I, uh, course it was 68 miles the, the hard part I know as far as the exhaustion was still to come but uh, I just had a great time and the next day Junie looked wonderful and we were good to go there aren't many things I would change uh, I definitely think there were some electrolyting issues I'm pretty sure I didn't electrolyte her heavily enough a few other little mistakes that I would change it if and when I come back. But overall, it was a wonderful experience. You know, the disappointment of not getting the buckle goes away pretty quickly, especially when you're concerned about your horse. And um, I'm hooked. I, I don't think I'll be back next year, but I'm thinking maybe there might be another Junie's Journey Tevis 2021 in our future. And thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure to share this. Have a good day. This year, I crossed the start line of my third Tevis attempt. In 2016 and 2017, I rode two phenomenal mares. However, unfortunately, both times I fell short of the finish line. This year, I was partnered with M.M. Woodrow, owned by Mark Montgomery. Woody is a BLM Mustang who has been successfully competing in AERC competitions for a number of years now. I flew into America on Monday and spent the week catching up with friends and, of course, all things Tevis. On Tuesday, I met Woody for the first time and enjoyed a great ride down to the river out of Mark's property, where we swam in the water for quite some time and had a good chance to get to know each other. That evening, we attended the foreign rider dinner, and it was great to be back in Auburn. On Thursday, my best friend Molly and I did all the pre-Tevis fun stuff. We visited Echo Valley Ranch, the AERC office, and spent the morning at the Auburn fairgrounds catching up with friends and melting in the heat. The ride is obviously very important, but to me, so are these pre-days. It's all part of the greater Tevis experience, enjoying the general atmosphere of Auburn, the endurance capital of the world. By midday Friday, our horses were up at Roby Park. The afternoon was full of pre-Tevis formalities, checking in, vet checks, rider meetings, and pre-riding. At pre-ride vetting, one of our horses in our team unfortunately didn't pass, so Mark very kindly gave up his ride so that Rotem, a junior rider from Israel, could still ride. Juniors in America need to ride with an adult as their sponsor. Rotem was to ride Gus, who was best matched with Woody, so the most logis logistical choice was for me to become his sponsor. I'll admit, I was nervous. I barely know how to ride these trails, let alone take responsibility for a junior and his horse. 
That being said, though, it was pretty cool table turn for me. As my first Tevis, I was a junior rider needing to be sponsored. So this was my opportunity to now step up. Pre-ride, Woody and I found the rock with our name on it. It put a huge indent in his hoof and cut his frog. There was a point in time I thought my day was over before it started. But Woody is a Mustang. Mustangs are tough. We made the start in pen one. Woody can be very fiery, hot and difficult to ride, especially at the start. I was very impressed though with his behaviour that morning. Woody wanted to go and I felt like I was sitting on a bomb ready to explode, but he kept himself under control. He didn't miss a beat the whole way to Robinson Flat. He stuck behind Gus 99% of the time because as we had planned, Woody really needs breaks at the beginning. Unfortunately though, at mile 13, that's just 20 kilometres into the ride, I jumped off Woody at a water point to cool and electrolyte him and somehow twisted my ankle. I didn't think much of it at the time. However, I have since found out that at that point I tore my perennial tendon. All I'll say is adrenaline is an amazing thing when it comes to pushing through and ignoring pain. We made it to Robinson Flat, which is a third of the way through the ride, and our horses looked good but not amazing. So we decided we would take the next third of the ride very conservatively. In the first canyon, Woody and I spent lots of time in the river under the swinging bridge cooling off. I think this was the turning point in my ride. Woody and I forgot about the race. We just had fun, ignored the adrenaline and excitement around us and just played around, splashing water each other and cooling off. I left to climb Devil's Thumb with a new horse. I definitely felt Woody and I were a team from then on. Unfortunately, here Gus started feeling the challenge of the ride. It was also his first 100, so completely understandable. They looked after us at the beginning, now it was our turn to look after them. Woody got more and more impatient, wanting to go faster, but we continued our steady pace with him looking better at each vet check, and Gus was still doing really well. Climbing Bath Road into Forest Hill vet check was amazing. The street lined with people, messages written in the chalk, this is always one of my favourite parts of the ride. Both horses vetted well at Forest Hill. And in the best interest of the horses, it was here the decision was made that I would ride ahead of Rodham after our one-hour hold. Rodham would wait back for his dad to catch up and they finished the ride together. I was sorry that I couldn't finish with my junior. However, to see father and son cross the finish line together at a pace that saw Gus finish happy and healthy was really great. Leaving Forest Hill, Woody was on a mission. We powered down the main street and onto the California loops to a beautiful sunset. Woody felt amazing, but I knew as soon as we left, I was in trouble. After all the work of the canyons, my ankle had had enough. I was eating painkillers like candy all day, and all my focus was on staying balanced in the saddle to not cause injury to Woody. Woody knew where home was, and on the dark, narrow trails, it was best I just didn't interfere and let him do his job. We picked up riders along the way, Jim Brown being the rider that stuck with us all the way to the finish. He hadn't ridden Tevis in over 20 years, so I really enjoyed meeting him and hearing his story. At Francisco's, the volunteers tried everything to help relieve some of my pain, and they did a really great job, considering all I cared about was how Woody was, and they had a bit of a job to get me to leave him and sit down. A huge thanks to these people for getting me back on the trail as soon as possible. The road to the quarry was long, though our dip in the America River was incredibly refreshing. I ended up making tack adjustments and ditching my stirrup when I physically couldn't put my foot in a stirrup any longer. Again, my only focus was on riding balanced and keeping Woody sound. 
By the way, at this point, I'm blown away by Woody's forward moving yet absolutely angelic behavior. I think he knew that I needed his help. We came into the quarry and I was nervous since this is where I was pulled in 2016. Woody was trotted out for me by one of the volunteers and I almost cried. He looked perfect. The vet told me we were going to Auburn. Leaving quarry, I gave Woody a huge hug and asked him to take me home. He did just that. We flew home and we climbed the final hill to the fairy lights of the finish line. Molly was there and although I was sad to see her, which meant she had been pulled, I was glad for her company walking down to the stable, stadium and preparing Woody for his final vetting. She trotted Woody up for his completion exam and he looked like he could be starting, not finishing. We had done it. Woody really took care of me that day. The next morning I received my buckle. As if my weekend couldn't possibly get any better, I was awarded the legacy buckle from Julie Sir, a buckle from 1983, the year she rode her beloved HCC Gazelle and was awarded one of her three Hagen Cups. I'm not even going to try and explain how much this buckle means to me and how lucky I know I am to receive one of Julie's incredible buckles. This piece of history will forever be one of my most prized possessions, and I can't thank her enough for the opportunity to own it. A huge thanks to everyone, Mark and Linda for letting me ride the one and only MM Woodrow, my crew for getting me through the day, everyone, the Board of Governors, vets, volunteers and cup committee for putting on and running the ride, everyone who has made any of my Tevis attempts possible, particularly Jennifer Waite and my previous horses M-Stella and M-Zoe for teaching me in previous years about the Tevis Trail. I could talk for another 10 minutes thanking everyone who made my dream rea- a reality. So just thank you to all of you. Thank you to each and every person and horse who have helped me in my journey to my Tevis buckle. It won't be my last. I am well and truly addicted to the magic of Tevis and absolutely everything it entails. I can't wait for my next opportunity to cross the mountains and to ride to Auburn under that magical Tevis moon. Hello again, this is Angie Mickelson for my part three of my Tevis story. Um, This is where everything gets good, right? The start of the ride. So um, I was a little nervous in the morning about Archie being in that big of a group of horses and holding it together. (laughs) Our plan was to go out in the front of the pen too, um, so that we didn't get caught up in a bunch of traffic and he moves out pretty fast, even at a walk. So I, I struggled to keep him held back. Um, and I thought if we couldn't, we didn't have that pendulum effect in the back, it would definitely be better for his mind. So as we left pen one, we had, um, a controlled start with leaders in the front and we would just walk down the road, which is... I don't know officially, but I would say a half a mile long to the official start of the ride. But we would filter in behind pen two, or sorry, behind pen one. So basically we're all in a pack, but the first 60 riders um, were qualified for pen one, um, which is basically the people that want to move out faster and they have some sort of a calculated process in order to... um, determine whether they can they can qualify for pen one or not Uh, we didn't fill out seating forms because I hadn't really had any rides on Archie and um, so we didn't figure I'd make it in anyways so there's probably a 10 minute wait where we had to stand in the road and and just 
wait for the start. Uh, he did okay, but um, he did get a little antsy a few times and made me a little nervous because it's tight and I didn't want him to bump into anyone and get kicked or get me kicked or um, I'd never seen this horse kick before, but you never know in a, in a group like that. So I also didn't want to fall off the edge. <laughs> So finally we started moving. It seemed like forever, but um, we filed in behind behind other riders. Um, there's really nowhere to pass, so it's pitch black. You really don't want to go anywhere. Just follow. It's basically a steady trot, um, slowing down at, at the hills or crossings that you can't really see in the dark, but you can hear the creeks and whatnot. So uh, I don't think you can use a headlamp at the start. Um, I don't. Th I think it's a rule. Uh, no one had theirs on, so I'm guessing. But it would be very, very annoying if everyone had headlamps on. Uh, the dust was thick, very thick. I quickly decided that I needed to put my buff up over my face and um, try to not inhale copious amounts of dust that were that were coming at me. After about five miles, maybe six, I noticed that Hannah was falling back. And I was I was a little wonder, wondering what was going on. I thought maybe she had equipment malfunction. Uh, we got to Highway 89 Bridge, and I looked back and expected her to be there, and she was nowhere to be seen. I found a little spot, and I pulled over with Archie and, and stopped to wait for her. It wasn't too long, maybe 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Um, she came from under the bridge and went to cross, and she just said, no, something's not right. And so she kind of trotted off ahead of me, and he looked really tight in the, in the right rear to me, mostly, but tight in the rear in general. Uh, we were pretty concerned about him at this point, so we kind of uh, slowed down and tried to see if we could figure out what was going on. Um, he'd never tied up before, so we weren't really thinking tie up, but at that point when you're you're eight miles six eight miles in and, and your horse starts tightening in the rear that's definitely the first thing that you think of we went on a couple miles and we stopped at some grass on the road uh, right before squaw valley and it was pretty clear at this point that he was definitely tying up we didn't waste much time or hannah didn't waste much time i should say she said to me i got this Here's what needs to happen. I got this, but you have to go. I looked at her and I'm like, now? And she's like, yes, you need to get out of here. You need to go now. So with tears in my eyes, I, I couldn't even really say anything because it was just so shocking and disappointing and, and scary that I was headed off on my own now. I didn't have, have her to, to come along. So I started off up Squaw Valley by myself. Um, Archie was on a mission. He never looked back once and I didn't look back because I didn't I didn't even want to want to look back and see see her standing there. So um, we just kept going. Um, mostly I walked up Squaw Valley. Um, we trotted a few of the the flatter spots but it's a huge climb and it's long and I just had left you know his buddy and I didn't want to stress him out at all. So I just kind of went up at a, at a regular pace. He has a super fast walk, like I said, so it wasn't like we were dilly-dallying at all. Coming into high camp, considering how he had drank at Bighorn, I really didn't expect much out of him, but he shoved his head in the tank and drank a big drink, um, and, and for only being as far as we were into the ride, I was very relieved by this. Um, I think it was his way of saying we got this.
from that point forward, I put my big girl pants on and decided that this was going to be our day. We took Granite Chief slow and steady and picked our way through the rocks. Um, we'd caught up with Diane and John Stevens, who are multi-time Tevis finishers. I figured who better to follow than these guys, right? Um, Archie was a handful, tossing his head and trying to go faster. Uh, I stuck to my guns, though, and I made him go at the safe pace that we were, we were traveling at with John and Diane. I started to feel anxious because I knew somewhere in this general vicinity was Cougar Rock. Um, I hadn't fully decided whether I trusted Archie enough to go over the rock or not. He doesn't always like to do things my way. Sometimes he has plans of his own and, and I knew he'd have to listen to me make it over safely. I contemplated in my head for a long time whether I was going to go over and eventually I decided that it was just not worth it and I was going to go around. So I came up to, to Cougar Rock and there's the ditch trail and I got on it and I don't know why they put the little spur trail back to Cougar Rock but when I got to that I watched watched John go over and then I watched Diane go over and I thought you know what I'm taking the original trail I'm not gonna regret not going over and besides Hannah told me I had to do it so it's mostly her fault <laughs> not really but I went up the little trail and got back on the trail to Cougar Rock and I headed up. You have to take a hard right to go up the big steep part of the rock and he gave me a little bit of resistance and I thought, okay, here's where we die. <laughs> there was a lot of scrambling and noise and, and finally we emerged up over the top. Um, I think I about peed myself a couple times, <laughs> but it was obviously worse sounding than it looked because um, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad in the picture. So um, as we came into Red Star, um, I hadn't been there for five years, so I wasn't really sure where to go or what to do. I just headed towards a tank and out of nowhere, someone came at me saying, are you Angie? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And she's grabbed a sponge and started going to town, sponging my horse faster than I've ever seen someone sponge before. So I had to ask her who she was. Um, and she was a girl that I know from California, Koi Lynn. Um, grateful that she was there to help me out. Archie drank really good there. He ate some alfalfa. Koi Lynn checked his pulse. Uh, he was he was good to go, so I just fed him a little bit more and, and wandered over to the vet. Um, and then there's another familiar face. Um, I got to see Wes, um, Dr. Wes from the Midwest um, Endurance Rides. Him and Robin Schott were there. Um, she was his scribe. So um, it was very, very good and welcoming to see um, familiar faces. It's about all road out of Robinson or out of Red Star into Robinson Flat and we uh, wanted to make up some time here but it's very hard packed so I didn't want to overdo it and and give it you know cause a bunch of concussion so I kept him going at a steady trot and wouldn't let him get into his big pounding trot to try to save his legs um, 
there's some corn some sides of the roads you could get off where it was a little softer and I tried to stay on that as well so um, coming into Robinson flat is crazy there's people lining the roads cheering it's just crazy people all over the place I think it kind of freaked Archie out at first we found crew and um, asked if everything was okay with Hannah um, they had heard from her, so that was good, and that they were making their way back to Auburn with Phil, and, and both of them were okay, so that was relieving. So we started to sponge Archie down and, and try to keep him keep him quiet as possible. He was he was a little bit of a handful there. We got into the, the pulse box, and, and she kept saying, he's high, he's high, but she kept checking in, so I just I just stood there and tried to let him calm down, and, and pretty soon he, he stretched out and started to pee. So we knew why why he wasn't wasn't dropping like he should, and um, after that he was a fifty six. He um, blazed through the vet check, and everything was well there. So we went up to the vet area, and Mr. Ants in his pants had a really hard time standing still. Um, I think there was just so much going on. He didn't have a buddy. He's not used to vetting out in the middle of nowhere, and so he was he was a little bit much. But um, Roberta. And Sarah handled him while I tried to take care of some of my my things. Um, I had noticed that he had a boot that was really loose, uh, so I needed to put some more glue in that. So I got some things together, and unfortunately the glue gun was malfunctioning. So uh, the girls said that they'd seen a farrier tent, and they went over to see if anybody could help us. And fortunately there was a guy from Vet Tech and he came up and they took Archie down and they took care of everything. So that was amazing. Thank you very much, Vet Tech. Hannah's mom is a saint. She made sure that I had eaten something. I had full water bottles in my pack. I had electrolytes for the horses, snacks for me, etc., etc. So um, it was getting close to time. I quickly walked to the bathroom and I was ready to go. So we got out on time headed out. I think that the next leg was about seven miles to last chance. Um, without the Pucker Point Trail, it was basically all road and um, a little bit of two-track. Uh, we left and Archie was absolutely on fire. I would have to say that it was basically pure hell <laughs> with him pulling on me and flipping his head and uh, I got a blister on my finger just from that that section all I could think was was oh my god I cannot wait for this horse to get in the canyons and be like ha take that so we got into last chance and again I heard a familiar voice yell my name and I turned around and it was my friend Dante who is from North Dakota I was so happy to see her I didn't know how long she'd been there so I didn't know how if she was just taken off or what and I didn't know if she'd be, I'd be able to stay with her. Um, Archie needed to eat a little bit. And um, she said that she would, would wait at the vet area or after the vet area. So I was, I was hopeful that when I got through the vet and to the other side that she would still be there. So um, yes, she was. And it was very, very nice to be able to have someone there to ride the canyons with. I didn't spend much time at the stops, um, just enough to let him drink, um, take a few breathers, um, eat. We figured out on the way there that if you spend 20 minutes or, or so at each stop, it does add up. It's very significant because there's a lot of stops. So at Hannah's advice, um, the plan was to come in 
let them drink, put water on them, um, give them some hay and mash, and then be gone. So as I went through the vet check, I'd let them eat a few bites and then grab a handful of alfalfa and start walking. So as um, Dante and I left last chance, uh, I was so excited to have a buddy to endure um, the canyons with. It helped time go by so, so much more as we walked down into the canyons. These are huge canyons. I was like so shocked. I looked across and as we were at the top and I saw how deep they were and I thought to myself, there is no way that we are going all the way into that and then climbing all the way out. But obviously there is no other way. So I knew it was and it was about to happen three times. <laughs> down and up and down and up and down and up. So I walked the entire first canyon on foot, two miles down, Archie breathing down my neck the entire time. Um, I tried everything to get him to back off. He stepped on the back of my shoes a few times and walked the edge of the drop-off to try to pass me, which made me very nervous. Uh, when we finally arrived at the creek in the bottom, it looked so inviting. I just I just had to go down and let him let him cool off down in there, but... I didn't know he was going to be a complete lunatic in the water or I would have just kept going. Um, there were tanks on the other side of Swinging Bridge that I could have just scooped from. But um, as we went into the creek, he stumbled and about plowed into two horses and riders and then rushed out just about as fast as he went in. I decided that it was not safe for me to be there or anyone else to be down there while I was there. So I just said, I got to go up to Dante and um, I headed up the single track where the people in front of me stopped. He started dancy prancy, totally lost it, reared up, spun around, um, and I was sure he was gonna go over and um, we were both gonna die there at the bottom of the canyon. I bailed off of him and held on to him tight and um, <laughs> we survived. I don't know how, but um, we survived, so. Um, going up the canyons, we got behind a little bit slower horses than um, what Archie walks at. So we did kind of have to stop every now and then and just wait for them to go ahead and then walk up so we weren't crawling up their butts the whole time, especially since the girl in front of us was um, tailing. I didn't want him to step on her, of course, so um, I tried to be polite and stay off of them. There's really nowhere to pass, so you can't really... You can't really get by anybody once you get up there. So I figured, you know what, if if we're going slower, it's better than faster. He's saving energy. Uh, I would have probably made up quite a bit of time having been able to walk up it at his pace, but all in all, it is what it is, and, and you just have to make the best of getting through those canyons. So we finally got up to Devil's Thumb, where the volunteers gave us popsicles, which were probably the best popsicle I've ever had in my life. Um, Archie drank like a champ, continued to eat and drink um, throughout the little time that we spent there. Um, onward we went to Chicken Hawk, which was also uneventful as far as the gate and go, was perfectly fine there. As we left, I kept hearing uh, click, 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 and I knew something was going on with one of my boots. Um, with only a couple of miles to go to Forest Hill, I decided to just let it be and hope that it made it through the last canyon. Um, this third canyon is a little less extreme and we were able to stay on. Um, I was able to trot quite a bit of the downhill, and, but we did still walk up the, the upside. 
So we finally got to the pavement and into what they call Bath Row Road, where again, there are just a number of people cheering and making you feel like all special. It's crazy. Um, so encouraging. And then I saw Hannah walking towards me. So I, I knew I'd found crew, which was exciting. I was so excited to tell her about how well Archie was doing and how he's handling everything amazingly. So we went ahead and started cooling him down. And again, he's getting all wiggly and weird. And I knew that he had to pee. So it took him a little while to pulse down and then we went over to the grass and he instantly peed and going through the vet check again, his pulse dropped significantly because he'd went pee. So, um, he definitely, we definitely need to work on him peeing with someone mounted, but we got back to the camper. Hannah took care of Archie basically with the crew and we had to do something with that boot. Um, the glue wasn't working, so we ended up putting strap-ons on both fronts at this point, which was a little concerning because Archie had been going through some bouts of scratches, so I was a little concerned, but I did have ointment in my pack and was going to be putting it on, continue to put it on at every, every stop so that he didn't get um, worse. Hannah's mom let me shower, which was amazing. I heard of people showering at Forest Hill, and I was like, I don't know. Am I, ever, I don't think I have time to shower. Do I really need to shower? It was the best shower I've ever had. <laughs> so I was all packed up. Um, we came in at 6.46, so we were out, I believe, at 7.46, if I remember correctly. And I knew I was running a little late than what we'd planned and that darkness was going to come really soon and I'd be riding the rest of the ride in the dark. Dante and I left Forest Hill together and headed out on the California loop, which I don't know why they call a loop because it's not a loop at all. Um, it's just another section. We got out and about 45 minutes later, about 8.30, it was pretty much pitch black. So another fun fact, um, Archie's never been ridden in the dark, so... <laughs> This was all learning experience as well. Um, it's not easy. It's not a. It's a single track, ledgy, switchback trail. I tried to ride in the dark just to, you know, all the horses can see better in the dark than we can. Blah blah blah. Well, he did not want to go at all. I couldn't see anything, so um, I clicked on my headlamp, and he was so much better right down the trail. I could see where I was going so I could help guide him. Um, he had a little bit of trouble understanding the switchbacks in the dark and it took a lot of leg and reining to get him, get him to go around and stay on the trail. He was following my headlamp though so I would get to a switchback and turn my head and point my light down the trail and he would, he would follow it. So it felt like it would be quite detrimental to our time to walk <laughs> for the rest of the hundred. I knew we had to move out, even if it was in the dark. So I started picking up a steady trot, and we trotted as much of it as we could. Uh, anytime that there was ample space to trot or it wasn't a huge switchy back or whatever, I was trotting. So um, I could feel my quads at this point starting to get pretty sore, almost crampy. So I was trying to stay on top of my electrolytes, 
but I wasn't feeling the greatest coming into Francisco's uh, leg-wise. So uh, the volunteers were asking what we want for food, for the horses, all these things, and all I had to say was, I just need Tylenol. Please tell me you have Tylenol. (laughs) They had a plethora of meds there, let me tell you, just a whole table full, and as amazing as all these people are, they showed up with Tylenol and a water and Archie was eating mash and drinking. And so it was just great. Um, I grabbed a little bit of a sandwich to chase the Tylenol. We shimmied on over to the vet check again. Unfortunately, Dante's horse didn't pass the vet check. She had gotten a sore back that they noticed it for us till. And it had just gotten worse throughout the ride. So I guess into the darkness alone I go. Archie seemed a little put out that we had to leave his girlfriend, Denny, behind. I never had to pedal this horse, but he was just a little more hesitant to move out. I could tell he was kind of going like, why am I all alone? And um, a few miles out, I maybe four miles, three miles, I caught up with two other riders and was able to ride into Lower Quarry with them. I think general fatigue was starting to set in for me. I had touched Archie and he felt like he was warm, so I I didn't think about putting a blanket on him. I honestly don't even know if they if I knew that they had blankets available there. Um, I'd stood around for a little while and they asked me as I was about to leave if I wanted a blanket and I'm like, oh, maybe I should have. Um, but as I went to the vet check, um, I did. he did seem to drag behind me a little bit more and I was worried that um, with six miles to go our ride was over Um, (laughs) because you can't see him when you're trotting him out you just think the worst. Uh, The vet said that he was definitely showing signs of fatigue and looked a little wobbly legged um, but that he was okay to go on. Um, She did warn me to take it easy going into the finish uh, just because he was getting tired but I do think that he possibly got a little cold at that at that stop and I should have put a blanket on him and maybe he was a little crampy when we went through the check. So I left it a walk, making sure to warm him up and and just, you know, try to with the intention of at least maintaining most of my pace. Um, I didn't, you know, have any intention on going any faster than I'd went. Um, we walked for about 10 minutes and when I asked him for a trot on a flat spot, he felt great. I may or may not have texted Hannah at this point in a little bit of a panic. I don't really know what I expected her to do. I think I just wanted to bounce my thoughts off of someone. And um, as she said, just do what you think is right. And so I I did. And six miles actually went pretty quickly. Uh, Archie was grabbing dead, gross grass off the side hills. Um, he was He was ready. Um, really taking good care of himself. So I was really happy that he was still willing to do that. I knew he felt okay. As I came up over the hill uh, and under that finish line banner, I could see Hannah and the crew waiting for me. You're not able to crew from there, but you can meet your riders and just be there for them. So it really lifted my spirits with everyone cheering and there was probably 25, 30 people there. And... um, you know, he drank really well there at the finish line. As I was going in, as we were going in, Hannah said, trot him. And so I trotted him out and she's like, oh my God, he looks amazing. Get off here and give me a hug. 
And so I'm like, you're mean. I don't want to get off. I'm too tired. But I jumped off and gave her a hug and, and we walked in. So um, there was so much excitement and everyone was so supportive. I was still nervous because I knew I had to pass the vet check. I had dreamt of riding through that arena. <sighs> I get choked up and under the banner so many times that I just couldn't believe that it was actually happening. I'm so thankful for all the people that helped me get to Tevis. Um, Hannah, let me use her horse, was just the ultimate gift. Um, Roberta and Sarah for flying out to crew for me, and Hannah's parents sticking it out with me all day, even though their daughter got pulled. Aaron and Josh were just amazing to be there and also so, so supportive. I'm very thankful for my donor. Uh, most of you know that I am a heart transplant recipient. As I rode under the banner, I thought, well, I hope she enjoyed the ride too. Thank you everybody for listening. This has been my 2019 Tevis adventure story. Thank you. Well, hi there. This is Lindsay Nichols from Wisconsin. Here, I had not realized that we weren't actually going to go through a vet check for 23 miles, and I had taken some water, and I think I might have even had, wow, like one granola bar, and so I started drinking, and then my mentor said, okay, don't get too carried away because we've got a lot of miles, so that was a little bit more of a concern, was how not to get dehydrated and to ration myself um, with the water uh, and an energy drink that I brought along but fortunately we now had two gals that had joined us whose mentor had dropped out and she had a filter bottle so she was able to just get water out of all of the streams that you pass along the way at Francisco's not Roberto's what am I talking about Francisco's um and so she shared that and I had scratch tabs so we were able to uh parlay them and uh, have water enough for the four riders and of course there are actually plenty of um plenty of pools and streams for the horses to drink from but they were very very hungry by the time we got to Francisco's which I think was probably about 23 miles been dropped sorry we'd ridden out of Chicken Hawk and then we'd gone through Forest Hill and it was just the most amazing thing to see it quiet nobody around during the educational ride we then you know walk through town and it's just it's so iconic you know you're looking around and you're hearing all of these names and these sleepy little mount uh, mining towns in in northern california it just is just it's like mecca if you if this is something that interests you it's 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 just like go at the holy grail i don't know you just you're seeing all of these iconic places and hearing all of these iconic names and if you had a great mentor like we did, um, she's describing exactly how the ride is going to be. She's describing the strategy. She's talking about the fact that, you know, you have to make time. You're doing a lot of walking. You're walking the canyons, unless, of course, you're the front runners. So you have to, you know, you, you get down if you can get down. You give your horse a break if you can. But if there's anything flat, you are moving out. You have to make time. And some of the challenges are getting stuck behind other people. Now, once coming out of Forest Hill, she then describes how we are, it's going to be night. You know, this could be 8.30, 9 o'clock at night. Light is fading. You're, you're going to be entering now some of the most treacherous parts of the trail. 
um, and with these significant drop-offs, you've got the the river down below. As we're riding, we can see it all, and <laughs> it's daunting to see how these drop-offs um, are right there, and you just have to trust your horse. People are riding this in the dark, and as many people um, describe, sometimes this, the moon may not be out by now, so this is pitch black. You've got some heavy, serious um, tree cover and um, you're trusting your horse and you are trusting your own reserve, your own constitution and, uh, and make, the, make the time because you cannot dawdle and getting stuck behind people that just are too fearful to do it could be the chance between you, I guess, tying up, getting butt cramps, um, not meeting the cutoffs. That was really interesting and it's just breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking in the daytime and then having to imagine what it will be like at night. Um, we were then lucky once we did get to Francisco's and the pickup to then be hauled back to Chicken Hawk where it, by now it was Sunday afternoon. So I had got there on the Friday night, we'd ridden 28 miles on the Saturday from um, Robinson Flat to Michigan Bluff and then and Chicken Hawk and then the second day we'd ridden out of Chicken Hawk um to Francisco's which about was about 23 24 miles and got picked up there and then brought back to camp that was so that was the better part of 60 miles and that was a lot of riding i mean we we set out the first day i think we were on we left the camp at 6:30 we hauled out to Robinson Flat and we were leaving by I think probably 8am in the saddle, actually, you know, trotting out. And I think we got back to camp probably about five o'clock. This gives you an idea of just, you know, how slow it is when you've got the canyons um, and the footing. You, you've, and it, it, again, just what I, my takeaway from there was you have to be able to make progress whenever you can. You've got to be so efficient. If you know you're coming up to um, a stream, you better have that sponge out. You better be ready to sponge your horse and get going as soon as you can. There is no time to dally. And that every five minutes wasted, when you add it up over the course of those 100 miles, you could be adding a half an hour, an hour, even more onto your ride time. And that could be the difference between you meeting a checkpoint cutoff or ultimately the finish on time or getting pulled for being over time. So it was really so worthwhile experiencing all of that flew home and was I just it was just the coolest coolest experience the people the trail the just the 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 whole thing I was absolutely in awe of it all and I kept pinching myself it was just the best the best experience so again if anyone is thinking about it they totally should Hey, this is Jen McCabe again, sharing more about my endurance adventures. Okay, so I guess some final tips on crewing for Tevis are make sure you know uh, where, again, remember your power banks and your chargers, um, water for you, sunscreen, uh, any medicines, that's another one, uh, lip gloss, <laughs> have a magic crew backpack, and you can email me or message me for the list that I use. Um, otherwise, just take what you would normally take in your crew bags for endurance. Uh, I'm trying to think special little treats are appreciated like extra little horse treats little treats for people that are just nice nice offerings um, handy wipes uh, you'll feel better after using them so will your your riders 
Um, your, your horses will always appreciate a treat from a person. Yeah, I, I will say that my secret sauce is I whisper sweet, sweet somethings to the horses that I'm crewing for. <laughs> so starting at Robinson Flat, especially if there's a horse that everybody's a little bit worried about with tiredness or metabolic or a previous issue, I'll go have a little quiet chat with that horse. Um, and it's basically just complimenting them and saying like, you're the best horse, you're the strongest horse, you're going to do this and know it's going to be hard, but you're amazing. You can absolutely do it. And I believe it. So I would say my most memorable moments of crewing have been those moments where horses pulled through and they did absolutely miraculous things. Jody White's horse, Amira, finishing the ride and then initially being denied a completion because her uh, a hindquarter injury that she'd had tightened up and she cramped. And our crew member, Nick Warhol, asking for a recheck and us being granted 20 minutes and we we had one person leading her and one person feeding her out of a hay bag. And I was holding onto her tail, basically telling her, like massaging as hard as I could this rock hard cramp. And at about 18 minutes, I felt the cramp go loose and she took three sound steps in a row. And I said, Nick, we have to go now. And we took her back down and Jody trotted her out and she completed. And it was, it was literally a talk with Amira. It was like, come on, girl, you can do it. Like you can do it. You, you came this far. You can do it. I need you to I need you to loosen up. And then this year it was an awesome gelding. Um, one of Jay's daughters, Raina, has this amazing Arab named Tree, and uh, I just love him. His personality reminds me so much of my Mustang gelding Odin. He's smart, very sensitive. Um, you know, has a lot of feelings, a lot of opinions, and like communicates those. And you know, sometimes gets so sensitive he doesn't want to eat or, um, you know, and then then can have some challenges later in the ride because of that. And I'm used to that with my guy Odin. And so um, a special effort to, to be with Tree and, you know, give him all the compliments and the smooches and the, the hand, the bite by bite feeding um, to get him through. And, and that, the, the memorable moment is seeing when the horse decides that they're going to finish. I don't know how else to describe it. And the person too. Um, and, and because I got to crew for some amazing experienced riders uh, like Melanie and Jay, I saw the determination in their faces only. It crystallized, hardened, it refocused as the ride wore on, but it got more, they got more and more determined. And you could see that they were, they were marching for a finish and that their horses were right there with them. I think the other memorable moments, especially for me this year, I just got adopted into this amazing family that reminded me so much of my family at home in Maryland that I, I really miss them. And, you know, Jay and her daughters, um, Emma and Elaine and, and Raina really, yeah, they, they took me in. They remind me of my sister and my cousins. And it was, it was so sweet to be a part of their family for a couple days. And that was completely unexpected. So it just made everything, you know, all the sweeter. Elaine and I were... We're sleeping on cots, you know, right near each other, near the horses. And, um, you know, it just made me, made me feel like I was really part of something very special. And uh, I will say for sure, watching Jay and her amazing horse, Lena, uh, her young, young mare, just powerhouse through and get stronger as the ride went on. Like, get stronger as Tevis wore on and just start marching toward that finish, like advancing, advancing, advancing. And then to look at her horse, Lena, after and see a horse that looked like she had not done a thing. So I guess I don't have a singular most memorable moments. There were lots of moments, you know, that, of, that were amazingly sweet. 
you know, some with horses and some with people. And uh, I, to get to see friends finish, you know, to get to see friends like Jerry Wittenauer finish and uh, Jennifer Elizabeth Mather finish on her Mustang gelding Ivan. It just, that kind of stuff is just amazing. The crewing means that you get to feel successful, you know, for everyone around you that you really care about and for their amazing horses. Well, hi there. This is Lindsay Nichols from Wisconsin. Fast forward a month, we are now getting ready to, to go out and crew this thing. And so my husband, who is a ultra runner, he has for a long time coveted the Western States 100 running race. And so I said, well, we have a companion ticket um, through, we have Amex for, for our credit card and to get Delta miles. So we had a companion ticket. I said, why don't we both go out? Um, it's not really adding that much expense. So he and I both went out to crew for this gal and it, what an experience that was. Again, you, you, you know, it's never, never what you plan it to be, but it was the best experience because I get, I got to, to feel firsthand what it's like to take care of your horse under adverse conditions in those kind of heats on that kind of terrain with those kind of climbs and descents it was I would not wouldn't change it for the world because of that experience the crewing for the get for the gal once she actually did Tevis it was the same kind of thing she'd had um, mechanical issues with the truck and trailer so they ended up deciding at the very last minute on the Friday night before the ride on the Saturday morning that they were going to ditch the trailer um, actually at the start so they left it in camp so we then at the very last minute took all of the supplies in coolers we probably had four coolers crew bags um, the rider bag the uh, totes full of dry feed huge bags of unidentified you know horse food boots all you name it we had it all but none of it we had gone through because we had literally just flown in so um at the last minute we were driving back from the start on the friday night trying to find a hotel room in auburn so that we could then set out at 4:45 in the morning to get a good crew spot at robinson flat and literally a, a mile from there we pulled over and i'm in the bed of the truck trying to run through all of the coolers, all of this stuff, and figure out what was the strategy because everything has to be hauled into Robinson Flat and you have three minutes to unload before your car has to leave or your vehicle has to leave and go to a uh, centralised parking area. So we did that on the fly. We got all set up. It was... Um, you know, we managed to find a spot that was close to where the vet area was and the farrier area was in case she threw a shoe, um, semi-shaded. It was great. And so then we got everything set up. We'd forgotten a few things. So we ended up having to, my husband, run back to the, the truck, which was probably about a mile away and get some extra stuff. But it was, again, adverse, you know, can't complain because it's adverse. It's actually great because it's gives you an idea of exactly what to do and what not to do, how important it is to label, how important it is to have um, all your stuff set up for each vet check, not just have it all together and pull it together. You've not got time. Time is of the essence. So everything needs to be labeled and you need a specific um, cooler rider bag for each, um, each crew point where you want people to help you. 
we watched as the leaders came in and it was absolute harmony in motion. I've never seen anything so efficient. I mean, we had everything from people with sprayers, you know, that you would use in your yard, full of water and ice. And literally the tack came off, the rider is trotting their horse down and, they've, and the crew is spritzing the horse on both sides as they move. They never even stopped. They go straight through and then they go to the water tank, wait a second, and then they go get ready for the vet. I mean, it was incredible how fast. Had people who literally had um, handed the the carton of, of water to the rider and they dunked the horse as they moved on down the trail. The tack came off and, and then they had two crew members on either side with buckets of icy water just soaking them as they moved. I think, you know, the biggest takeaway there was come in um you know start to pulse down but don't stop just keep moving and making time it's all about making time don't lose time look at every opportunity to use time as efficiently as possible um from there we scrambled and went to michigan bluff again big eye opener it's not not everybody cruised from there because of the fact that they have you walk for about a mile down a very steep hill and it's in probably the hottest part of the day. We took way more, too much stuff in there. It literally should be, what does what does a rider want? Is it going to be a sandwich? Is it What drink are they going to want? That's it. If they don't like it, well, guess what? It's what's available. They're going to eat it. They're going to drink it because they need to move off. All about ice, small buckets, getting the horse um, cooled down and offering it something, him or her, something to eat. There's a lot of, you know, all the volunteers are there to jump in and help um, whenever is, you know, whenever the rider wants it. But it was, you know, she wanted us to crew and we were there to crew for her. And it really is a bare minimum there because you then have to carry everything back up that hill, which we did. We got quite the workout. And then finally, we um, went to Forest Hill, again, met her down Bath Road. We were by now super efficient. We knew what we were taking. We knew how the horse was probably going to respond, um, meeting him as far down as we could, getting that the icy water and soaking his neck as he moved up the road. Uh, by this time, he was ravenously hungry, so... And he liked his wet beet pulp, so having that available and a mash, he wouldn't touch the mash at Robinson Flat, so it's kind of getting to know the horse. And a big takeaway was rookie crew and rookie rider are probably not a good combination. It's really nice if you have someone that is experienced on the crew um, that can help a less experienced rider and vice versa. You know, we were learning as we went as much as, you know, I've done whatever, three seasons now of um of endurance it still was this is not a horse that's familiar to me this is a rider that is unfamiliar to me I'm not sure how that horse is when he when he eats when he doesn't eat does he you know um is he is he a good eater is he how quickly will he pulse down it turned out that he won't really eat at all or drink until he's pulsed down so that was the priority but then having him stopped you know you you run the risk of of muscles tightening so that was a challenge that we had too and he was very strong coming up Bath Road into Forest Hill. I mean, he practically dragged her up that hill. And it's interesting as you look around and you see how long it takes now some of the horses to pulse down. There was a gated horse that took quite a while. Um, and then there's others that move on right through. There's horses that now by this point are being dragged up up Forest up uh, Bath Road and there are other uh, horses that are literally pulling their rider along, um, and he was he was he was full of energy. 
Um, but as we as she went to the vet and she trotted out, I thought, hmm, he looks a little stiff in his rear end. The vet noticed it too. The vets are from all over the world. They're invited. And, and in this case, actually, we had a Wisconsin vet, which was awesome. Nice familiar face that we saw at the airport on the way out. And there was an Australian vet. And the Australian vet was was the one who was... Um, was examining the horse that we were crewing for and uh, she she saw it and she said you know see what you can do over the hole but bring him back so she kept the vet card we then took him fed him started massaging him I went round and begged for some calcium so that I could um, give him some of that and see if that would make a difference but by this stage he was just starting to get really tight um, and then it turned out from from an account from his rider that she had mentioned that coming down that last canyon, he had actually stopped and kind of looked around like, aren't you going to get off now? And she feels like maybe then he was starting to, you know, pull a muscle on the descents, you know. And that's one of the biggest things that I, I heard from the presentations during the educational ride. Your horse is either an up horse, an uphill horse or a downhill horse. And I'd never really thought about it before your horse really has to know how to go downhill. I mean, this is a lot of down. If you look at the Tevis map, um, after that climb um, up to high camp, you are going progressively downhill. Yeah, you're hitting those canyons and having to go down and come back up again three times, but essentially the trail is going down. It's a lot of downhill. And if you've got a horse that doesn't handle that well or isn't conditioned for it, they are very much going to, you know, struggle in the rear end. And that's ultimately what happened to him. Full of energy, perky, um, happy, hungry, you know, very responsive. But he had pulled that muscle in his in his left hind and uh, it was up, you know, in his thigh. And there was nothing that we could do to 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 help him out. Even if she persuaded the vet to let her go through, which I'm not sure that that would even be possible, you, she still would have had 30, what, 34 miles or 36 miles to go. That's a long time. If it was 10 miles, she probably could have walked a lot of it, but it's still a lot of miles when your horse is, you know, has already pulled a muscle. So ultimately, that's where she pulled. That's where a lot of people pull, you know, and... Um, I think people enter Tevis saying, I'm going to go as far as we, we're going to go as far as we can. Everything is an accomplishment. Just getting to the start is a major accomplishment because this is a daunting task. So to get to Forest Hill with a strong, happy horse was a huge, a huge accomplishment. Um, you know, I don't think she was unduly disappointed. I mean, obviously people go into it and they want to complete. They want that completion. They want that buckle. But she was full of um, wonder and awe that her horse had got that far and had got there with such a great attitude and full of energy. Um, we watched a lot of horses Vetting through some horses now pulling, being seen by vets, looking a little sad for themselves. A couple of horses that had um, had accidents. One had been nudged and then taken a tumble down off the trail. Um, ultimately was fine, but, you know, to see kind of that side too. You know, you have to go into it thinking there's a certain amount of risk with this endeavour. Um, and you certainly don't want your horse to to be um, to be hurt, but you know there is that possibility. Just there is with yourself, you know. So you have to go in fully prepared for those things. But uh, you know the horses got great care. The vets were wonderful. The volunteers were fantastic. Um, so 
our horse that we were crewing for had to wait and uh, because he had you know um, essentially been pulled and then his his heart rate actually did hover a little bit they wanted him to be transported to Auburn which worked out well because she had no trailer the trailer had been uh, left at the start if you remember so um, we ran ahead my husband went to try and figure out where his stall was that got to be a little bit um, of a long drawn out process because it turned out that they'd actually been double booked so there were many horses that didn't have a stall and then they ended up having to be put in the the area that was dedicated for horses that were under under the care of a vet so with the understanding that they may actually have to vacate so it was kind of a a little bit more of a stressor for her having already pulled to then transport a horse and know that he may not be there for the night as it turned out he was and he was absolutely fine so then we watched at the finish as different horses came in and riders and and then watching people as um you know the horse may have uh you know may not be sound you know there was one horse where they asked if they could go work on it. It was obvious that he was stiff in the rear and they get went and probably iced and massaged and came back and presented again and then were still stiff and they did not get the buckle. My gosh, to ride 100 miles and put that level of effort in to only pull at the end was kind of heartbreaking and I think there was probably, I don't know how many horses, six-ish I think, where that happened. Um, and then the horses just tiredly, they get, they go around, they do the victory lap and it's euphoric. I mean, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing to behold, an amazing thing to see all these wonderful horses and their riders and the crew members and the camaraderie and um, just the hustle and bustle. And then the next day to, uh, you know, and a friend of ours, you know, she completed, I would, you know, obviously wasn't crewing for her, but to see her local a local rider, um, North Dakota. Um, it was amazing to see her complete and do the victory lap, actually waiting for her to come over the finish line. And we kept thinking, any minute now, any minute now, any minute now. It just seemed like the time crept by and we're all at 2 a.m., whatever it was, 3 a.m., just exhausted, stood up almost, you know, eyes closing, thinking, please, please, come on. Um, but to watch her come in and, and complete was just a fantastic experience, fantastic um, and then the next day, so I tried to grab some sleep, whatever time it was, 4am, got up at 10 and then went to the uh, awards banquet and saw everybody get their awards and the presentations and then they brought the top 10 in and just to see those top 10 horses come in between the tables, the hustle and bustle, it really is just the most amazing experience. It's a fantastic thing to witness and be part of and I would recommend it to anyone just for the experience of crewing if you if you love love you know the endurance discipline and the you know you love events this is just an amazing thing to be part of even if you never get to ride it but uh, I would absolutely say as so many people have said to me that if you are thinking about doing it the educational ride is a great place to start and I think the statistics I think of the was it the nine people that did the educational ride that entered Tevis six of them completed so it was a higher complete it might have been eight it was a high completion rate when you think about the fact that overall the completion rate is something like 54 it's amazing the juniors too um and you know how 
a junior rider could be with their, you know, with their sponsor and the sponsor may pull and then they're looking around trying to find another sponsor for them and that person could pull. I mean, there were stories where juniors had had literally a, a combination of four different sponsors um, and in a lot of cases, these are very savvy horse people, you know, they know what they're doing. Um, it's just having somebody who is an adult, technically an adult with them. So in a lot of cases, their completion rate, I think it was nine juniors started, and I believe, I think was it seven finished or six finished. So it's a high completion rate for juniors, which makes sense. The horse is carrying less weight. They're, they're athletic. They are experienced, you know. So in, in many cases, not dragging the sponsor down. They're not you know, kind of a, um, a a ball and chain for them, but they're actually someone that's going to add energy, it's going to help pull them through, it's going to be um, morally motivating for the horse as much as anything else. So it was amazing to see them finish um, and staggering to know how many riders are actually from, you know, international locations or not from California. So many of the horses are local to the Tevis Trail and condition on the Tevis Trail um, and are leased out. And I had no idea just what percentage of horses are actually leased out to people from out of state and out of country. Um, so it was um, it was remarkable to hear all of the accents and, um, you know, all from where everybody was from and, and, and languages from all over the world. So this really is a remarkable event um, and yet still has, it's just a local ride, you know, to the people who are, were at the educational ride, the people who are mentors. I mean, this is just their local ride, just like it is for us in Wisconsin or Minnesota. That was the feel. It's just our local ride. Come and enjoy it. There was no, there was no um, snootiness, there was no elitism, it didn't feel like that at all. It felt like people are being set up to be successful. They want the completion rate to increase, they want people to go into it knowing what they're doing um, and not run into trouble. So, um, Tevis, totally recommend it. Um, thank you for listening, this was a long one, but I appreciate being able to share my experiences um, of what was two very exciting events that took place in 2019. And again, this is Lindsay Nichols. I'm a rider in Wisconsin, and um, I appreciate you listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Are you still there? This was a long one. Hello. Knock, knock, knock. Anybody there? Did anybody listen till the end? This was a long episode. I am, I apologize, but there was such good information. And I figure a super long ride like Tevis deserves a super long episode, right? I get a cookie because I listened all the way. I don't think you listened all the way. I was right next oh. to you while you were doing it. Well, no, you listened to part one. This was part two. So you listened to the whole part one. Uh, well, I listened to you put the whole part two together, mostly. You, you think you did. I'm not sure you did. Yeah. I'm not sure. But you know what? There are a few runs to Menards in between there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Always got to go to Menards. Yep, there was a few runs to Menards to get stuff for the barn. I don't even remember what we were there for. So <laughs> I, what, did, what did we buy? I don't know. Uh, a little bit of stuff we needed and uh, a little bit of stuff we didn't need, but didn't need. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Okay, so the next episode, guys, hopefully we'll be telling you the barn is mostly done and there might be a stall or two in there. Woohoo! Yay! 
So the next episode will be a regular episode, but it'll be a little unregular because there'll be um, a hodgepodge from different times. You're going to be like, wow, it's October and somebody's talking about the fire up ride or firecracker ride or something in July. And you'll be like, wow, Chris, you're behind. But we did the All Mustangs episode. Yep. We did the non-traditional endurance horse episode. Absolutely. And we did two Tevas, so things kind of backed up a little bit, and they started collecting in there. And I like how you say we, you know, make me sound like I'm doing something important here, but I don't. It's all Chris. <laughs> well, without you, I don't think there'd be a barn either, uh, so you, and you're my crew, man. The wind beneath your wings. You are, and I'm looking forward to the next ride with Grace, hopefully October in Arkdale. Yep, a couple weeks. All Hope right. you enjoyed. Hope you enjoy. Ride far, ride well, ride often, and most of all, enjoy the journey.